Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Welcome back to Diverse Tech Founders Media, back in Nashville in the home city, interviewing Nikki Sands on gigs, which is appropriate for where we are in Music City, the heart of it. I think the first music tech company that we'll have spoken with and founder who uh, can tell us all about it. But first, let's start where we typically do, and that's getting to know you a little bit better. So we met uh, at an awesome happy hour meetup. Uh, I don't want to say that it's a rare one, but it's it's rare in the sense that the person who connected us is a special individual mm. who knows how to curate events. And that's what brought us here. So that's the backstory on us, but we want to know the backstory on you. So talk to us about early Nikki Sands. Like, who, who was little <laughs> Nikki? And, and walk us through that process. And if you could, tell us if you would be friends with that person based on where you are now. That's a question. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's awesome that we were connected in the way we were. And the questions you were asking me when we first met, I was like, man, this guy needs to have a podcast. You're like, actually, <laughs> do you want to come on the podcast? So thank you. Um, I'm very happy to be doing this. Yes, childhood Nikki, doing everything, doing all the things. And I'm thankful for my family for supporting me and wanting to try every sport, every theater production, every club and dance tryouts. I, I would just, I remember my schedule has always been full and I think that's probably why I continue to make it that way. Was it begrudgingly like, were they forcing <laughs> you? Were you volunteering? No, no. I, and, and when I went to college, I was a part of every single organization I possibly could. I, there's something that I think I need to understand rest better. I'm not good at that. But little Nikki would, at this point of where I am, through therapy, through my faith, through a healing journey of doing inner work, child work, you know, I would be friends. I, I, would, I would really be friends with little Nikki, and I would encourage. Funny enough, I also am a songwriter, and just for fun, come from the creative world, um, music. And I was thinking about writing a song where current day me would open my childhood bedroom door and see seven-year-old Nikki and what would I tell her and wrote a song about that she was a lot she just danced and talked and she didn't care and then something happens through you know middle school high school bullying and insecurity and you know not liking certain things about yourself that that changes and how can you make sure that you stay that person that you were before all that when did you start songwriting and when did you start therapy yes oof Songwriting is always uh, since a kid, and um, like four. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just silly little songs, and then it's matured over the years. And I always write when I feel extreme emotion. So if that's extreme sadness, extreme happiness, um, fulfillment, disappointment, and when I started therapy last year, actually, and it was actually the same year I found God, and it was just a whole year of rediscovery and healing, and and it. My life has completely changed from that. When was the last song you wrote? Actually, it was a worship song. It was my first worship song that I... So why Dabbling into it. Yeah, why, why? Yeah, last year, I really found God, and I got baptized. And so I'm, I'm really, I got into a Bible study and going to more worship nights, and I'm, I'm understanding the, the art of worship music and 
how to let that kind of come in creatively. So that's a whole new whole new side starting. Well, I'm sure we'll get into that more. <laughs> We're not going to run from that topic, but we'll keep we'll keep going yep. down down this path. So now you're into to tech, music, tech. I mean, it makes sense here in Nashville, but for you, like where did you grow up? I guess we'll go back to that and then also you know, what was your first experience with technology? I mean, you can be around instruments and and melody without necessarily being around tech. So when were you introduced to that? And when did you know that you were on that track? I had no intention in getting into tech at all. I moved to Nashville to work in the music industry. And all I wanted to was to get on a tour and, and be on the road for years and years and tour manage and do all of that. It was only in doing that and realizing that's not the life I want. And we'll get into it, but when I realized, oh my gosh, there's such a need for gigs in our industry, that I was like, oh my, I'm gonna have to learn about tech now. I ne- No, I went in completely blind. And that's where the Entrepreneur Center was incredible in, in finding advisors and understanding how to, st- how to find developers to start putting this together. So no, I don't have a tech background. I don't have an engineering background. I don't have software but I'm learning yeah, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm finding that I am enjoying it, but it's, it's definitely out of my comfort zone that I'm, I'm learning. Okay. We'll talk about Nashville Entrepreneurship Center. We're going to come back to that, but what is the problem that you were hoping to solve? Like you said, oh, there was a problem. What was that problem? Yes. I was on the road for about four years with Eric Church and a few other artists um, as like assistant tour manager, production assistant roles. And when I went back out on the road after COVID, I realized it was not for me. <laughs> I liked, you know, sleeping more than one hour a night. I liked being in my own bed. I liked my community in Nashville. I didn't like leaving. So I decided to get off the road. And, and in the time when I was decide, figuring out what is my next move, I want to be in the industry. Do I want to get out of music completely? I started working for a tour manager and I was helping him staff tours. In doing that, you know, I knew how hard it was to get on the road myself, but to find qualified touring candidates to get onto different tours, whole nother story. We are all a word of mouth industry and it's all just a bunch of different inner circles and that's how you get jobs. And it's always been that way. We needed one centralized hub for people to go on just like LinkedIn. None of us are on LinkedIn because it doesn't serve us. You know, when you, even just the, the user interface, if you're working a bunch of gigs, LinkedIn doesn't, isn't structured for us. And you're not going to have Taylor Swift dressing room manager posted on LinkedIn and expect to get the right person to apply. Okay. You're, you're, you're going really fast here and I like it. I love it. You know, but I'm not a musician. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I took saxophone for a little bit. I even whip it out every once in a while and you try like to play <laughs> Yankee doodle dandy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I, you know, that was a draw for me. It was, yeah. uh, but I've never been inside of a tour bus. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so put us inside of a tour bus, take me inside of that. Because you mentioned Taylor Swift, I would think, oh, she has her people wherever she goes. They follow her and it's straight, and that's, and mm. that's that. So just kind of break it down a little bit more for us, because you said that this problem was so big, you were considering leaving music. Mm. So just put us back on that tour bus. And if I'm the artist, Taylor Swift or Beyonce or whoever it is, do I think this is a problem too? Mm. This world is so, it's behind smoke and mirrors, and it's it's for a reason because. You can't just post a job post for anyone because you can't get the crazy fans in. So there is, it is this weird industry where it has its own language and not a lot of people know about it. So you think with Taylor Swift, she's got her people that are, 
So do you think her person is also a set carpenter and a rigger and a guy who's mixing the audio guy that's doing lighting bus driver, truck driver. I think she has like over a hundred truck drivers. It's, it's wild, but then it's also the makeup artist and then it's the VIP. So my friend is out with, um, Beyonce, you mentioned Beyonce doing VIP. So she had to find that gig herself. How do you get that? (laughs) There you go. That's the question, right? All word of mouth. This is kind of how (laughs) anyone in the industry, if I say, Hey, if you hear of anything, let me know. Or if you hear of anyone, let me know. I'm trying to hire. We in the industry are sick of hearing that because that's the only way to get a job. You text your inner circle. Hey, if you hear of anything, let me know. That's how you get that job. You're in the right place at the right time, available at the right time. And the right person knows that you need it. But this person in every city she goes to with Beyonce has to hire 20 to 30 VIP assistants. How is she going to know 30 people in Paris and in Brussels and then also in middle nowhere, Nebraska? Like, how is she going to find those people? And it's all been all of these little group chats and Facebook and Discord, um, Instagram. That's why it's a problem because we're struggling. We're not, we're not only struggling to find that next gig after Beyonce's done, what's she going to do after that? How is she going to get that next one? If someone hears of something, she's going to get it. You know, that's why it's, it's so apparent such a problem we need a place that's a closed community vetted where you're going to get the word of mouth jobs posted safely and you're going to get the right people to apply so what are people doing now i mean you say you can't use linkedin but can you dm people because they got secret words in their profile yeah yeah you could you know i i know a good bit of tour managers production manager on on linkedin but communication is really weirdly enough through instagram and facebook because you see the mutual friends So if I go to someone on Instagram and I see, oh, all these mutuals, I could probably, yeah, I trust Allison because my, these friends follow her and and that's usually how you do it. When I was staffing, it's like, who are their references? I don't even really care about their experience as much. It's a backwards kind of industry. Wow. Okay. Uh, you, you rose to the challenge. I feel, I feel more inside now. After okay. after this uh, demysticism, mm-hmm. uh, but now let's de- uh, demystify gigs. Yeah. So what is gigs? We kind of got a sense of where the idea came from, but if you could talk about that inspiration and what it is, we would love to hear. Yes. So the inspiration came from me wanting a hub, a place to post jobs, so I could get ten candidates to choose from to then give to the production manager to hire. I was feeling insufficient in who I knew. And I had a whole spreadsheet of people. And I- I'm gonna say, you're the plug. (laughs) It's crazy. And that's where I think so many people, I've I've talked with artist management. So artist management, basically they start, they hire the skeleton crew. So artist management, they got the the artist, they can sell out. So they can hire a tour manager, production manager, lighting guy, audio guy. That's their, their skeleton. From there, Tour manager, production manager hires the rest of the crew. And that can, you know, include catering, dressing room, rigor, carpenter, automation, the guys that are doing the video camera that's like Spidey Cam. I mean, all the way down to the the craziest tours. But it starts with that skeleton crew. So I've talked with artist management and they're like, yeah, we got our own system. We got our own Excel spreadsheet. I know some huge promoters that have a huge Excel spreadsheet that are still struggling. To, to fill these roles. It's just something that we've accepted for some reason, but honestly, HR is usually the lifeblood of most companies because they are the ones that create the culture and the community. And this is getting into another side of my passion, which is I only got that gig 
for a lot of reasons, but I only got back out on that tour after COVID because that was who I knew and that's who would hire me. What if I could have found a different fit that might have fit better or that had a different culture that that would have worked for me, would have worked for them. But otherwise, I have no chance because that's just who I know. Options. Yes. And then that goes into me being a female, people of color, people, just minority groups. Yeah. That goes into we staff based on friends <laughs> and based on your own little friend groups. How do I have a chance if Mark is going to hire Jeff? You know, why can't you he hire me? You have no chance. Wow. But yeah. you're saying with gigs, you do. 100%. It levels, out, it levels out the playing field. Because when you post a job and I say, you know, I want to see any production assistant job that gets posted, I and Jeff see it. We both submit our profiles and then you really see what I've done. And this guy would have no idea who I was otherwise. It's just opening. It's, it's, it's creating more equal opportunity, you know. And it sounds like, I don't mean to simplify, but the word that comes to mind is visibility. Because mm. you mentioned it's in the shadows, it's behind the curtain, and you are making what is sort of, I don't mean in the shadows, but you know, yeah. visible. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I get so many calls of, you know, how do you get that first gig? And I always have to tell them, hustle. Tell venues that you're going to work for free. You know, cold call tour managers and production managers. Cold Instagram message, Facebook message. That's how you're going to show that you really care about it. And someone will give you that first chance for like no money. And then once you have that, you've started creating your circle. Why can't we just have a platform where you can apply to a job there? You can take it into your own hands. So that's something that, I mean, I don't like waiting around. I like to actually just be able to apply myself so if there is a job I want, I want to be able to apply myself to it. Is this across genre? Like if I'm a, you said a, a rigger, I don't mm -hmm. even know what that is. So please yeah. tell us what a rigger is. <laughs> yeah. If I'm a rigger in bluegrass or jazz, can I hop over into to country or, you know, hip hop? Mm -hmm. You know, is it cross genre? Yes. That's, I've, I've mostly been in the country and rock world. Okay. Usually, okay, I would love to go on a Broadway tour. Yeah, me too. Why? <laughs> right? I don't have the contacts in there. I just know the country world really well because it's all relational. If I had the opportunity to apply myself to, I just had a, a big gigs hang yesterday with our community. It was a cool zoom meetup. And this one guy, he was production managing for Justin Bieber and he was doing, then he was doing pop. And then he got into like the, uh, what is it? Uh, Korean pop world. And now he just started with theater and He's like, I'm the only one that's been in this, you know, been in the rock world that's now in here. So usually you don't really cross pollinate because that's just your contacts. So now it, I think it does give people more of an opportunity to, if you are in a country world and you want to do, because country, here's another little thing. Country is usually Wednesday or Thursday to Sunday. And then you're back every Sunday night to Tuesday night or to Wednesday night. Pop, rock, pretty much every other gen genre is you're out for months and months and months. Um, but theater is a whole nother story too. And how do you care for the performers? How does that look different? So this just gives people more opportunity to explore their best fit. For sure. Oh, and, and a rigger. Let me tell you oh, what a yeah, rigger yeah. What is a rigger? So they're the ones that go in first and they you call it walk and chalk. You go in and you basically do the exact measurements for what is hung in the very top scaffolding. And that is the big, a lot of venues get um, retired firefighters to come out because you're way up there in the, in the rafters. So you're, they're 
basically hanging motors. The motors go up and the motors are what holds the audio, huge audio system, the lighting, all of the different components up there. So you need a lead rigger to be able to do the math and make sure that it can hold all the weight of it. But then you also need all the other, you know, it's, it's, it's a world that people just don't really know about. You just go to a concert and you see your artist, but you don't see all the people, you know, backstage and what it took to get you to listen to your favorite song. You know, I love, I love hearing this because when I think about, you know, my nieces and nephews, we were talking about family a little yeah. bit earlier, you know, they may only know the typical professions, you know, doctor, lawyer, athlete, entertainer, the artists themselves, but there's so much talent that's on tour with you mm. to make sure that it all works out. And I think it's beautiful that you're helping people to illuminate those other options. I want to talk about money, but a quick aside yeah. briefly, because, you know, this really is Music City. When I moved here, I'm on a lot where the house behind me is an artist, a musician, and I actually had the opportunity to speak with him recently about what that travel entails. And the idea of being able to go to these destinations and be with people and actually interact with folks and seeing the importance of how one conversation could lead to five or six more gigs. Because I remember there was a time period was like, hey, I don't know what's coming next to... I have more gigs. So now that we're talking about money, mm. two questions. Mm-hmm. How do you make money? What is sort of the business model? And if I'm thinking about, you know, kind of getting more involved, how will I see that this is viable from a mm-hmm. financial standpoint? And then also, how did you capitalize the business, if you don't mind us asking at this stage? It's expensive, music, tech. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it's going to be a uh, closed membership. Basically, you apply to get in, we vet people so that they at least, you know, we want newbies in there too getting gigs, but we want to make sure that it's the right, when someone posts a job, you get the right people applying. So there's an application to get in, and then it's just going to be about $50 a year for access to all networking connections, a public profile with everything you want on there, Um, you know, opportunities to apply to jobs, post jobs, homepage, you know, just all of it, 50 bucks a year for access to all that, um, on the individual side. And then on the company side, we're going to start out very basic with pay per job post, kind of like an indeed. So you pay between a hundred, $200 per job posting guaranteed. You're going to get a really solid pool of applicants to choose from. And then we're going to, as we see the metrics and how this is working, how companies really want to use this, we're going to create an enterprise model. So if someone needs to staff an entire tour of 65 people, how can gigs help with that? If they post all the jobs, how can we help get the top five? And then they choose from there. Um, so we're, we're going to, I'm trying to just grow with the audience and, and put out something I think is basic enough to then learn from people and, and what they want best. And financing this, I had saved up a bunch. So I knew I could start this out um, without having a job. I've been doing this full time for a year now. And then I also really lucked out that my grandparents had an education fund that, that could help supplement some of grad school if I decided to go. Didn't do grad. This is totally my grad school right now. I'm learning a lot. Um, and so I was able to start actually developing the software wow. with that, which is just such a blessing because I still own 100% equity at this point. Wow. Yes, thank God. That's fantastic. But this is business school. Yeah. It's business school where you're actually sweating every day because you're like how is this going to fail and if it fails i've lost all of my money all of my time you know yeah. it's it's 
it's real time business school. I don't know why they don't just make this <laughs> people do this because yeah. it's, yeah, you yeah. got to feel the pressure. It's the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Hundred percent. Okay, so I'm realizing that I am a sound engineer. It sounds weird to say, but yeah. given that I've edited 60 episodes already, I've learned a lot. Like I can look at a file now and the little lines and the bumps and I I know what the word is. I know where the ums are Ooh. just by looking at it. I don't even have to necessarily listen to it anymore, but I still have a lot to learn. I'm very amateur, but I'm saying that because, you know, it's a growth opportunity for me. And let's say I wanted to join a gig, you know, Beyonce was in town a few weeks ago or not even just anybody If on Broadway. I, when I lived in New York, love going to the Broadway shows. Let's say they just needed a little extra help just for a day. Mm. Talk to us about who is the ideal client and what we're really getting when we sign up. Walk us through the process. You know, for me as a sound engineer, put me in the app to where I can say, okay, I can start here and come out with an outcome and I recognize, what do they call it? The customer delight moment. Ooh, a customer delight moment. Love that. Yes. All right. You are an audio engineer with podcasting experience on your gigs profile. That's public. You, you put your experience in and what you've done in music touring and non-touring. So this would be non-touring experience of editing podcasts. You understand. You probably have an ear for it, too, of, of just hearing different things. Audio, you can go into monitor world or like front of house world. So in monitors, you are basically, you know how artists wear the earplugs? They're called in-ears okay. during the show. Yeah. So when they sing into the mic or when they're playing their instrument, the person who's mixing the monitors is mixing what they hear. So they're bringing in some of the crowd. They're bringing in some of the lead guitarist. But the, the singer is hearing their voice so clearly. So they don't over sing. So they, don't, they know where they're at. So that's someone who's in the in-ears or front of house guy. You know, the stage is here and then you have, this is called front of house back here where the, this is where the audio console, this is where the big long lens, long lens cameras are. That guy is mixing it for the audience. So he's hearing all the audio from every single, you know, musician up there and he's hearing, ooh, the drums are a little sharp or whatever it is, you know, and I'm going to sound like an idiot because I'm not an audio, but the drums are a little heavy here. Let's reduce this. And, and that's how you get, you can tell when you're at a show like a Beyonce or like top notch with some of the best engineers, it's crisp, it's perfection. It's exactly what you need to hear. And you can go to like a small club with a new guy who's starting out and you're like, oh, it's like really fuzzy. I can't put my name on, you know, and all the words to describe sound. It's, it's really funny. It's like, this sounds really purple right now. You know, it's like I want it to sound more teal. Um, and that's where the audio engineer comes in. So you create your profile. You say what experience you have. Um, and then you start you can start DMing other audio engineers and you say, hey, can I have coffee with you? And, and can I shadow you, shadow you for this if you're playing the exit in? Can I shadow you for this and see how, you know, how the whole console works? I really want to start next year um, a gigs internship experience so that people with no experience and want to get on the road and can't get that first gig because they don't have experience can start learning and shadowing um, because that's something we really don't have in this industry either it's like you just get out there and push cases and you know fill coolers and then you learn while you're out there I don't think I'm ready for that I'm not <laughs> quite yeah. ready to be the in-ear but it sounds cool and it'd be something that I would love to do one day it's definitely on my bucket list now so you got me interested that's one mm -hmm. 
Talk about the traction that you've gained so far. You mentioned it's a closing community. Why did you decide to go with the closing community? And how do you show to people who want to become stakeholders that there's a lot here? Like this is a significant problem that a lot of people are on board. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are interested. You're getting people from both sides. Like just talk us through since you've started it to now, the traction that you've seen. I would not have spent all this money and time if the support and encouragement wasn't there. I mean, this industry needs it. And it is the, I can't believe the response we've gotten in just the past two months. We have over a thousand people who have signed up for this already on the wait list. And I haven't even started marketing. I'm about to start marketing next month. (laughs) Yeah. And we have currently 300 people actively testing in beta. I'm getting the coolest responses. We're really changing it up. So we're super focused on the MVP and what, what is our goal, how do we prove this concept best? The good news about tech companies is it's a quick, very quick, uh, it can explode. You know, if you get the right user base and you do this well, which that's, I, I, I can't sleep at night because that's all I care about right now. Is how can I get the best user base to where the concept is proven? And then, you know, we, we expand on that and we find new ways to generate revenue. And um, I have so many ideas. And I, I my goal is, you know, Amazon started with books, MVP. What's the MVP? It's the touring industry. I've also worked in sports, corporate events, theater, TV, and film. It's all gigging in general. I made a really good life for myself just gigging, so let's make it easier for people to gig. So eventually, once we nail this marketplace for touring, I want to expand to gigging in the entertainment industry. Because if you're in the middle of nowhere, Florida, on a TV set, and you need a quick touch-up, makeup touch-up, that's how you find somebody through gigs. I've realized that professional investors, you know, they want to keep the door open. They're going to, they do, but then they want to see progress. So I think I started the conversations too early. I needed to get a thousand people to sign up. I needed to show them that yes, people want this. And then I needed to get the companies to actually sign up for this. I think as soon as you can get letters of intent or a wait list or companies to sign off, you can use their logos type of thing. I mean, it's proven that people want it and that when I'm starting to get these thousand people on, they're signing up. They're actually creating their profile. Like to have 300 people already, we just started letting people in right now. So that when we launch September 26th and we, I I have a list of 10,000 contacts to hit at that point in the touring industry, you know, I'll feel confident that we already have a base. I definitely echo that. You want to be prepared and there's no way truly to be prepared until you actually you know, oh. sort of go out there mm-hmm. um, and do it. So you alluded to your your little black book, a lot of people in your industry that you know and are, you know, helpful. But if you were going to isolate or just talk about a few people who had the most impact from your personal network on this journey in your life, talk about who those would be or what, you know, was it all just sort of you and you were figuring Ooh. it out? Because there are people in that category or were there people who showed up for you in unexpected ways? It's an amazing question. Um Man, it would be awesome to have a co-founder to bounce ideas off of. Really? <laughs> I'm definitely looking for one. Really? Yes. Um, but three groups of people that have really helped. Number one, my dad has been unbelievably helpful just in bouncing things off of him. He's also one of my very best friends. And we realized through this process that I really need a mentor and advisor based in Nashville. So I I was, I lucked out and I, through a bunch of different connections, met this man named Scott Welch, who is unbelievable. He managed and signed Alanis Morissette, Green Day, 
journey and then he got into the music tech world and he was one of the first investors of StubHub. Have you ever heard of that? Scott Welch, thank God for him. It's been incredible. We talk every day, multiple times. <laughs> and then lastly, like my core group of touring friends. I'm so grateful for them because I get to say, hey, what do you think about this? If I launched this marketing, how would how would this look? And, and they've been unbelievable. Um, I've not done this alone. I've been um, just so much support from this community and everyone just wants to help in so many ways it's been a blessing cool now i want to talk about one of my favorite topics especially given we're both here now uh which is nashville so is nashville the best place to launch a music tech company that's the first question and then also in terms of the resources how much of that came here from nashville versus other places because one of the the projects that you know, we work on with Diverse Tech Founders is connecting ecosystems, not just across the Southeast, but across the country and hopefully the world. We even have some interviews overseas, right? So talk to us about Nashville's local startup ecosystem, how it impacted you and maybe what you're most excited about. I know that was a lot there, but we're talking Nashville. We're talking music tech. Is Are they a, a natural, uh, what are they, are they natural bedfellows, I guess? And then also uh, just your journey and experience here as a Nashville founder, because I've heard and going to different events, some people get a lot of support and other people are finding they're having to go to the coast or elsewhere. So just talk about that dynamic. I mean, you got Nashville, L.A. and New York, the biggest cities in the country for music. Nash- not, not Atlanta. Oh, that's true. Damn. I don't know. Yeah. You got Atlanta. You got places in Texas. Yeah, man. Nashville is a small pool for, for all this. I do think where Nashville really, really um, has benefited gigs and me personally is that once you're in the industry, it's a very small world, especially Nashville. Country music specifically here, of course. But there are some really awesome different clubs and societies that are that are non-country country specific. Nashville, with Entrepreneur Center here, extremely helpful. I don't see myself anywhere else doing this. I know Nashville is home for me, but I can't wait to expand it to L.A. and New York and, and see how to get into those markets. The best part about Nashville is once you start it here, it's a lot easier to, to grow your circle here just because it's a small town and people look out for each other in the South each little ecosystem is different and that's usually why if I get a gig in country I'm most likely going to stay in that world if someone gets a rock gig based out of LA that's going to be their pool gigs is the first opportunity to bridge that gap and bring all all of us together and I'm excited to see how that will work because I don't know but I know we need it I know we want it based on who I've been talking to and and the pool of people I have already it's time for our community to come together especially the people on the outside how can we get them in? And that's where I love your podcast and how it's just a huge passion of mine to bring in these underserved communities and the minority groups. How can we level the playing field and bring opportunity to everybody? I love that. So talk about NEC, talk mm-hmm. about the center, you know, where we are, the significance, the role, what it would be like if you didn't have this here. Oof. <laughs> I have no idea what I was doing. Yeah, this was, this was my first stop. I had a call with a family friend when I had this idea and his first piece of advice was hit up the entrepreneur center. I'm like, what is an accelerator? What is an incubator? I don't even know. And they, they were so helpful here. Wes told me that I've, I've used more advisor credits than anyone that has been through this. 
Because I was like, all right, I need someone in tech. I need someone in finance. I need someone in marketing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm the first person to tell everyone that in meetings of I'm learning, but I have so much to learn, um, especially coming from the creative world and the event world. Now I'm doing technology. What does that look like? How can I do this <laughs> without avoiding? I would love to avoid as many mistakes as possible. I've made so many, but the EC has been instrumental. And then I... I got selected to pitch in the competition last year with them, and I ended up winning, which really brought in so many different people um, and contacts I otherwise would not have met. New investors, new advisors, um, new networking circles. So the EC is such an incredible hub for entrepreneurs, especially when you don't know what the hell you're doing. And it's been very helpful. Okay, you mentioned that when we first met as well. You know, hey, I'm still learning. You mentioned it here, too. And one of my favorite podcast hosts is Stephen Bartlett mm -hmm. on the other side, Diary CEO. And I saw him on LinkedIn talking about imposter syndrome. And I stopped scrolling and listened, and it resonated with me. Because a lot of people talk about imposter syndrome, and he, his argument was that we're looking at that wrong. Mm. You know, he was talking about his time on Dragon's Den, which is like the shark tank here, you know, you know, in the U.S. over there in the U.K. And he was saying he looks to his right and it's the person who's there since episode one and all these people who have massive resources. And you feel like, well, maybe I shouldn't be here. Traditionally, that's how we think about it. But he was saying we should really think about it as a growth moment and embrace the fact that, you know, this is supposed to be outside of our comfort zone. This extends beyond what we've experienced so far. And so it's not that I'm an imposter here, but everybody knows that this is an opportunity for me to grow. Ooh. Have you seen that being used in a way as a superpower? Because in this founder world, you got people who are trying to, quote, fake it till you make it. But to me, the growth moment paradigm is one that I notice in other people who are doing really well and one that I really believe in personally. So talk about that for you. Where did that idea, that, that mentality come from? Wow, that's a really cool way to see it. The imposter syndrome moment is such so defeating. It's like I've had a few of those where I'm like, what am I doing? How do I, who am I to think I can tackle this? Who am I to think I can make this predominantly male music industry change what they've been doing the whole time. You know, this is a new way, but that's kind of just how I was raised of, well, you can literally do anything you want. Just figure it out and just learn and know that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong place. So always be around people who can teach you things. And I mean, my, my family is so brilliant and um, I'm always learning from them. I'm always feeling like the dumbest one in the room and that's not a fun place to be, but you know, when I'm going into meetings with really professional investors and we're talking about, you know, whether we use a safe or a convertible versus equity and I'm learning, I'm, I'm still in the middle of grasping these concepts and feeling so, oh my gosh, I need to throw this in the trash. I've been doing this all wrong. I have no idea what I'm doing. Each time I learn more about what I should be doing. I love taking feedback. I just don't see feedback as ever negative. I, if I get deflated from it, I'm like, well, this person's just trying to help me. If they're trying to tear me down, then that's on them. That's not on me. That's really powerful. Mm. And it sounds like you've had some really good influences from your family throughout your life in undergrad. I mm. took this course called Love in Antiquity. Okay. And it had us reading a lot of ancient Greece, ancient Roman, ancient Egyptian, ancient Hebrew love poems and stories. And I found, at least I thought, what was a central theme. And that was you often had to choose between business 
and love. The example is like um, uh, Virgil's Aeneid. I'll just, I'm not trying to bore you, but I like classics a little love bit. It's, it's just, it's very powerful. So Aeneas was told that he needed to go found the city of Rome. This is like the, the story of how Rome was created, right? So he needed to go found the city of Rome. And so he gets, you know, in his boat and sails across. But Hera, goddess of, of the gods, she convinces Aeolus, who is the god of the wind, to blow him off course. So blows him off course to northern Africa in Carthage. And his men get on the shores and they encounter a queendom that is run with such brilliant efficiency. And the queen is dynamic enough to win his heart. So Aeneas falls in love and the rest of this tale or story, you know how it goes. Everything stops. Construction stops. The building stops. You know, they're just sort of uh, walled up in the queen's, you know, uh, uh, quarters, I guess you could say. (laughs) And um, that's a problem Uh, because all of his men are kind of doing something similar. Uh, All the people on this trip with them. But then Hermes, you know, the god of the message, you know, the messenger god comes and meets Aeneas in the woods and says, hey, you need to cool it. And you need to do what your mission is, which is found in the city of Rome. You got to give back. And so Aeneas and his men steal away in the middle of the night and they leave tragically. Uh, and it's a tragedy because the queen Dido looks out and sees them leaving. And, and it's a very tragic ending, right? But he goes on to found the city of Rome. And there were other stories like that, Eloise and Abelard, all these other stories where it was clear that the message was the more you choose one, the more you lose the other. I don't know if that was accurate or not. I don't know if that was the sort of propaganda, that. but <laughs> that's what I took away from it. And so it's it's still a topic more than 2,000 years later where people feel like they have to choose. So for you, do you feel like the more success you have in one area, the more you sacrifice? Obviously, you have to sacrifice for a little bit of everything. But do you envision or is it possible? Have you made room to be successful in both? Wow, what a question. <laughs> and thank you for that history. That was That's really cool to learn. I haven't been, no, I haven't figured out how to be successful in both. <laughs> There's a little neighborhood cat that comes by and I've been feeding him and taking him in. And I realize I don't even have time for a cat. I, I'm struggling to have time for myself and actually finding sleep, finding a social life, having time for my family and my friends and my community. <laughs> I hit a moment two months ago where I realized, you know, I was just, I was, I was hardly sleeping. I was really running myself dry. I was trying to do as much as I wanted to do, realizing this, this might hurt the business. And I realized that whatever I put into this business was exactly what's going to come out. And so that's the hardest part of going to bed at night saying, did you do enough today? When yeah, man, I really needed to go and I needed to read 30 minutes on the couch and decompress. Do you feel guilt in that and knowing what you could have done in those 30 minutes? I've been having a networking event probably every single night. So grateful for that because I always get something out of it, meet great people through it. But man, when my mental health is really low and when my, my energy is low, how can I say no to that? So it's, it's understanding opportunity costs of knowing I'm going home to see my dad for his 60th birthday. That means that I have to make all in-person meetings on Zoom. And that is going to hurt my chances of really winning someone over. But that's worth it in life. So I'm trying to figure out a balance because right now it it feels like I'm burning on both ends and not finding enough time (laughs) for anything. 
So I think it's a process that I'm going to try to be more mindful of because it's, it's brutal, I think. Do you feel like you can credibly ask someone else how they're dealing with that or is that a taboo topic? Usually, and if I, I do ask this, like, how are you? How, you know, are, how are you doing? Are you able to stay sane through this? And everyone kind of has the same, oh, no, nope, no, it's insane. I don't know. You just, and they say, like, you know, you just learn how to not really sleep well or have much of a social life for the first three years. And then you find some success and then you can do what you want. And I think, you know, it's just such a grind culture in entrepreneurship and knowing that what you put in is what you get out but still to my core I want to be a mom so badly so yeah (laughs) how to my priorities what does that mean and where where does that lie of importance on my day-to-day and my years you mentioned God a number of times and people on this podcast if you've listened to you know more than a handful of episodes you know that my dad is a minister okay and he's been preaching a whole lot more lately, which has been good. And, you know, I feel guilty almost if he's just, if I'm like, oh, I was reading. He's like, well, you know, what were you reading? I know if I don't say the Bible, <laughs> then I'm going to get some. But anyway, how did you come upon that journey, that aspect of yourself? And how does that impact your approach to business? Mm. For me, faith has become, if that's first, everything is going to fall in place. If you put your order of importance of the day, I know that when I wake up, I needed to get to those emails that I had to ignore last night because I needed to go to bed. But instead, if I read a few passages of scripture, if I have quiet time and I'm journaling or I'm praying in the morning, meditating on the word, that will set up my day. If you make time for your priorities, things will fall into place. That's what I have found. It's been very difficult. It's like I'll have my Bible sitting right here and I'm like on my computer right over here. And I'm like, man, I just need to put this away for a second. Give the time that this deserves. I mean, what I've found through my faith is that, you know, if that's where your trust is and that's where you fully understand, he provides so abundantly. That is quite the testimony. It really (laughs) is. Uh, So what I'm hearing is, is that, you know, for a few years, you're going to have to sacrifice some things on the altar. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but you get what I'm saying in terms of the metaphor. You're going to have to to make some sacrifices. But let's say not just one year, but let's say, you know, half a decade in Mm. the future. You've had enough time uh, and enough people have heard about you to show if you're right. And if you're half right, you're probably going to be super duper successful. And if that's the case, you may find yourself on the verge of running a billion dollar company. The question is, is that what you want? Do you want to run a billion dollar company? It's different from starting it, from owning it, from investing in it, from, you know, being on the board and being the face. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? I wish I could answer that right now. I think the best advice my brother gave me at the beginning was Amazon sold books. I think that's all I can focus on right now. Right now it's, it's, it's a lot, but I'm enjoying it. And I, I feel myself growing with each step of this. Right now, thinking about running a billion-dollar business, I can't even comprehend it. I want to focus on running a $250,000 business and then running a million-dollar and then a $10 million business. I can't answer that yet, and we'll see where life goes. That's a, that's a great response, and it reminds me of uh, a popular financial book. Okay, 
and it's of its time, obviously, but uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Mm. And in The Richest Man in Babylon, sounds like you're familiar, you know that the storyteller talks about a father-son scenario where, you know, the parent gives to the child a tablet with some rules on it and also the gold. Now, somebody could look at your situation and say, hey, you got a sack of gold and you put it into the company and you put it to use and you're having to learn, okay, there's the gold. Now it's in the company. You don't have it anymore. But you have these five lessons or what have you or what the information on the tablet for you. What is that information on the tablet? You know what I'm saying? Like, what is it? And another way is what's the most profitable piece of advice that you've gotten that is worth more than the money you've put into this business? That's such a wonderful question. Wow. And I want to hear your responses. This is killing me, by the way. I love, I I have to ask questions back. So this is a hard concept for me. Well, I'll start with the first one that's been so helpful for my brother saying Amazon sold books. So I've, I've worked in all of entertainment. I want this to be a place for everybody, but how can I just nail touring first? And so that's been through through beta, actually, I've seen the way people have been using the platform and realizing, oh, this whole page and feature I have, I'm going to take that away when we launch because that isn't serving the ultimate goal of this. Listen, but ultimately you make the decision. I honestly think for the past like eight months, I've been taking so much advice and changing course, changing things for my developers because someone had a great idea changing the way I'm structuring the model or the fundraising of it because this one person said, this is the way to do it. I wish I had just been able to take advice and then really listen <laughs> to my intuition and, and, and make the best decision that way. That's excellent. And I will humor you. So one, I think that's a good book. And the rules in there about finances, I think, are a good one. You mm-hmm. know, putting aside a little bit and, you know, keep your purse fattening and all that. Uh, but if I'm looking at good pieces of advice that I think about on somewhat of a regular basis. I'm actually going to give three buckets because the the first one has has two that's kind of say something similar. You know, I've heard it said, um, if you don't have always, you get nevers. And also how you do one thing is how you do all things. Now that is controversial because I've said that to other folks and they're like, no, it's not. And I've gotten some pushback on that. But for me, it speaks to a consistency that I value because it makes me think, hey, if I'm, you know, slouching or taking it easy here, I'm, you know, why am I all of a sudden going to become a different person or have a different attitude elsewhere? Mm. And also if I say, you know, I want to work out and I'm going to do some push-ups or, you know, sit-ups or what have you, or, you know, I'm going to wait until 12 o'clock because I'm intermittent fasting, or I'm going to say great morning to my significant other every morning or whatever. If I start slacking on that a little bit, if I don't have always, eventually I'm going to get nervous. And I think you see that sometimes it deteriorates over time. And I've had some personal experiences where I missed one day and it cost me the relationship. You know what I mean? That's a bit of an extreme example, but it speaks to me. The second bucket, you know, was actually on one of Stephen Bartlett's podcasts where he was interviewing Marissa Peer. And she was talking about rapid transformational therapy. And it really made me think back to my own thoughts about my childhood. If you think about when you were four or five writing those songs, you know, you were thinking like a four or five-year-old. But we are, you know, 27, 31 now, and we can go back and look at those situations from an adult perspective. And we should instead of feeling like we're, you know, always limited to that age. So that's the the second thing. And then the third bucket 
is familial advice and wisdom that I get from my mother who got from her mother and my aunt said the same thing, which is to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, I'm sure that's probably applicable in business as well because it's easy to get distracted and unfocused. And by keeping the main thing the main thing, even when I'm talking with my clients, it's helpful for me not to forget that they want an outcome. They don't just want to go back and forth about all these different options. Keep the main thing. The main thing is the decision. Uh, so that that's mine. I don't know if you have a reaction or a response to that. But. Thank you. All of those. Oh, my gosh. I, I love the second. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think if you go to your family, your roots, that's to the core of who you are. Maybe that's the main thing, too. We're coming into the end of this conversation. And it's been a great one, quite honestly, because... You know, when people think about Nashville, they think about Music City and to have a music tech company birthed from Nashville, uh, benefiting from the resources here in Nashville just speaks to the ethos here. So it's great. This is this is wonderful having you here. Uh, And we're coming up on the penultimate question. You've probably answered this in different ways, you know, as we've been talking. I mean, you said a lot. First of all, you got us hip to the music industry. Put us inside you put us on the tour bus you had us up in the rafters you know what I mean you had us you know with the microphones or the the headphones in our ears what is the most valuable thing that you do for your clients for your customers what is the most valuable thing that you do for them knowing that this hasn't been done well clearly we don't have anything like it it's creating opportunity and leveling the playing field for everybody who wants to get into this and wants to continue working in it number one Number two, you know, just by being a member, you have a public profile. So if, if I'm trying to apply or, or even just, you know, you search Nikki Sands, you're going to see my gigs profile. You're going to see what I've done and you're going to see who supports me, who endorses me, my availability calendar, who's in my circle. So that in itself is valuable because we don't really have an online presence as a community. Lastly, just creating that community. You know, we didn't touch too much on the loneliness you can feel and how lost people can get when you're on the road for so long. When you're gone for so long, you know, you got your family, you're never alone because you're on a bus, you're living with people. You get to experience some of the most insane things, but you don't get to do it with the people that you ultimately love. And a lot of times when you get back to your home and you're away from your people for so long, those relationships are really hurt. It's just worth starting the conversation of how can we feel less alone in our community. We're, we're confined to our, in our circles. If gigs can be a place where we actually can, can feel like we are one and we are a community, we have other people that understand our crazy way of living. I, I had an experience where a few people on my bus in 2020 took their lives. And, you, you know, that's, that's a whole nother conversation in, in 2020, what that loss of job meant. It was like a loss of identity for a lot of us because who we are is on the road. We're gone. So if you take that away, what are we and how do we live life? So really a big part of this is, you know, integrating Music Cares, CMA Foundation, the Roadie Clinic, having those resources so that when people join gigs, they know where to go to get insurance. They know where to go for mental health, for rehab, for, I mean, anything. These organizations exist Gigs will just be this hub for people. And I feel that. I mean, you wouldn't expect necessarily any old company to have that type of a brand or a draw. But even sitting here with your gigs hat on and knowing how many people connect with music. I mean, it it, it alters their emotions. In fact, you get stuck in that decade of your life where all of the music, you know, just stays with you forever. Like, 
It's a powerful what decade is it connection. For you? Uh, you know, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> I would probably say probably 05 to 2015. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe 2016. What genre? Uh, I think it, I think it varies. So the first CD that I ever had was Sammy. All right. Uh, you know, I like the way, you know, that, that, uh-huh. that song is really good. Um, and since moving here, I have gone back to some of the songs that came out back then, um, in the country genre. So I have like a country playlist too. Yes. Uh, and I like the rock songs they used to play on top 40 back then. You know what I mean? I don't really listen to so, so much uh, rock now, but mm-hmm. That was that was me, um, but I will say this: since we were talking about you know our our fates, mm. um, I love Christmas time, mm. and I love the Christmas music. So I was listening to a song yesterday. Nuh-uh. Christmas, yeah, <laughs> I love Christmas. I know it's corny. It's hundred degrees outside. Look, I know, I know. <laughs> At the same time, like just the song, the vibe, the energy. Like mm-hmm. I like that kind of music i really do i love christmas time because you mentioned family you know i worked my behind off too when i was living in new york they called me and they said hey you're number one or last depending on how you look at it on the list for vacation everybody's taking vacation but you i was in a class i think i had a hundred lawyers in my class they're like you're the last one to take any vacation you gotta go yeah and when I started to visit my family again, it just meant so much to me. And oftentimes that was around the holiday mm. season. So that music just speaks to me in a different way. So that's what it Your is for core. me. Your it, core. It, it, yeah. it really is. And just the energy, the vibe, like I'm not all into the commercialization of it, but you know, I like the yeah. smell of the, the yes. pine, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I like, you know, the idea that magic is, you know, here or whatever. Uh, Cause most of my, my year is not like that. Most of my year is very in your face, but yeah. what would your decade be? Crazy enough. Well, my first CD and concert was Shania Twain. What? That was my start into country. But I will say the music that gets me the most uh, in that comfort space, weirdly enough, is like, is hip-hop from 2004 to, like, t- 2014. Because I used to do hip-hop and breakdancing and stuff. And so, like, really? like uh, Nelly Furtado and um, Yang Yang Twins, Lil Romeo. Like, yeah. re- I mean, yeah, Kanye. It was, like, <laughs> that was my decade that really, like, yeah, that's my comfort music most of the time. But I'm really, I, I love all kinds. I love Paul Simon. I love classic rock, uh, country. I, I'm all over the board. <laughs> Wow. So since we're on the topic, uh, a couple of things. And feel free not to answer this because it could be pretty charged, I guess, a little bit. But somebody was talking to me about there are multiple Southern genre in the mm. country space, right? And I didn't even know that this was uh, this was uh, a thing. But country and Americana. Mm-hmm. What is that? What does it mean? And... When it was explained to me, it was pretty politicized. Is that good? Is that accurate? Or, like, can you... I'm not trying to go there, but I do want to go there. What is... <laughs> okay, I might not be the best person to talk to. What I what I see it as is what country... Pop country, over the past, I want to say, decade with pop country, I think has been written for radio and for radio hits. That's why you don't really hear a lot of female country. Because, I, I mean, personally, female country... I mean, those are the songs. Those are the the lyrics. It's pure. They're 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 singing about real real things. And I feel like over the past decade in pop country, and this is totally just my opinion, um, has been written to just get that radio hit. And it, it's light and all of that. 
but I see a huge change with people loving um, Zach Bryan, Sergio Simpson, um, Tyler Childers. I mean, even Morgan Wallen is writing about really deep things. So I see a shift and I, I see songwriter songwriting in general is coming out more in, in pop. Um, Americana, I would say is like at the soul of songwriting and it's, it's not writing for radio play specifically, even though everyone's trying to make, everyone's trying to, you know, make it. Um, there's, yeah, I, I, I still might not be the best person to talk to. That's just how I see it. That's helpful background as we, uh, as we explore and get some understanding in this music space, it reminded me actually of something that I perhaps should have mentioned earlier, but I really wasn't listening to country like that. But I'll tell you why I started to. Mm. Uh, my senior year of high school was sort of the year after the recession, and we moved from Arkansas, where I'm from, to East Texas. Mm-hmm. And I lived in a small town called Lindale, Texas, about 3,000 people. Wow. Um, and I attended the same high school that Miranda Lambert graduated from. So they had her, like, you know, her photo up there, like, in the rafters and all that. And they were like, oh, she went here. And And at the time, I was like, not really sure who that is or, or, or what that's all about. But I started listening to her music, and that was kind of like a key time. That was around, like, 2010, so mm-hmm. she was really starting to take off then, uh, if not already. Uh, and that got me introduced to it. And so I encourage people, as we're having this conversation, this is Diverse Tech Founders Media, to just explore as much music as possible. And it reminds me of another anecdote. I don't know why we're just, like, you know, the, all the uh, alignment <laughs> here. But when I was in grad school, went to grad school at Cambridge overseas and I remember listening to a podcast at that time where I think it was Tim Ferriss who was interviewing a neuroscientist who was also a video game designer and programmer one of the coolest interviews I've, I've heard in a long time at that time and what he had done was his goal was to try to find the optimal or or when you're truly at old age in your mind, neurologically, when are you, you know, considered old, when do you sort of reach, you know, sort of the peak. And he was putting these people through these experiments and trials to try to see when they started to dip. And so he started, you know, in the 70s or 60s or whatever, and it got all the way down to basically 23 years old. Mm. That was considered old age in front of your brain. But he was still finding ways to optimize your brain over time. And one of the things that he said was... Uh, when asked, you know, what's your favorite music or what music do you listen to? His response was one I had never heard before. Uh, Coincidentally, that's what he said. He said, I only listen to music that I've never heard before. Wow. And at the time, I think that was when Spotify's discovery feature was really hot. So that's what he would do. And I started to do that. And that's when I just came into all these new artists that I never would have heard before that I listened to because I was attempting to listen to music that I never heard before. And I discovered some stuff where I was like, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to, you know, like put that on repeat for a week or so. But then I went right back to it. So maybe you could just talk about that, too, because some people may think, you know, I like my music. I'm stuck. But what do you say about that? Wow, that's so interesting. I have spells of I listen to a lot of music I love curating playlists to then I podcast big podcast person to then silence I'm a big uh recently I've been driving in silence a lot because I need to quiet my brain and I need like just silence (laughs) 
I'm currently in my silence place, so I'm not on my music train, but when I'm on the music train, man, does it bring me joy. Okay, so in terms of listening to new things to keep your brain healthy, that is wild. I've always kind of been that way. I love finding the new stuff on Spotify. Absolute game changer, because I used to use LimeWire and like BearShare and all that. Yeah. So Spotify curating playlists that I, 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 they all vibe well together. It's a totally different genre that I haven't done before. And then I'll just do the next one and then I'll make the next one. And I haven't really sat and listened to it. So I feel like I'm doing that right now, or I'm avoiding chilling out. <laughs> I think that could also be it. I wish I had more to say on that. Um, but that I, I'm going to try it. That's a really, really cool technique it's harder than you might think i mean uh because like you really like songs you're like i want to be in the mood and you kind of got to you know find stuff that you may not like but you do but then you hit the gym i think it's valuable totally Uh, (laughs) so that penultimate question lasts a little longer than anticipated but uh the the true last question is how can people get in touch you know i've been really vibing with you and i you know i know we've been trading messages back and forth with questions also for me like if i want to stay in touch or get in touch with you i'm listening to this right now you know, what is the best way to do that? And how is, you know, how can I find gigs? Just walk us through how to stay connected. And when this podcast episode ends, how we can find you and stay top of mind. Yes. Thank you. Uh, first thing to do is go to www.gigs.live, G-I-G-G-S dot L-I-V-E and join our wait list. We're launching September 26th. So if this already launches, you know, just join to get in touch with me, please email me at Nikki, N-I-K-K-I, at gigs.live. Um, follow me on social media, Nikki, or at N-I-K-K-I-S-A-N-Z-Z. Follow us, gigs.live, on Instagram, and we're just about to create a bunch of content to put out there. And I would love any email, any DM. I love any phone call with anybody. So if anyone's interested in this, especially in investing, especially as a company that wants to post jobs, anyone interested in getting the music industry, reach out to me, please. Thank you. I love that. This has been truly a delightful conversation. It has, and on a topic that, you know, I personally really like. I I wouldn't consider myself necessarily a music head, but now I'm like, I actually really enjoy, you know, what you're doing because it, it could, and it will be a game changer. So with that, we will leave you with the last word. I've gigged for a living and I've made a great living doing it. And I've avoided nine to five and I've experienced some of the coolest stuff. And I want more people to be able to do that. I want to let level the playing field, create equal opportunity for people to just be in the ring and have the opportunity to get these gigs. I pray that gigs does that. You know, my goal is I'm going to take the feedback from everyone and make this exactly how we can all succeed. I can't wait to get feedback. I can't wait to change it. I can't wait for version three, four, five, six, seven. I ultimately just want this to help our industry and to let people work, find jobs easier, get hired easier, and keep gigging alive. And we can't wait to see that either. This has truly been a pleasure. And until next time, we bid you adieu. Thank you. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, and we'll see you next week.